As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, good afternoon, good morning. Uh, welcome to Off Air with Jane and Fee. It is currently Wednesday. It's in London town. That's where we are right now. Freezing cold January day here in the Northern Hemisphere. Just had to correct. We are in the Northern Hemisphere, aren't we? Yeah, we are. I'm reading emails. Carry okay. on. We are in the Northern Hemisphere. Now, um, we will do our usual leathering stuff, but I think we'll start on Off Air with our interview which went out on the live radio show this afternoon on Times Radio, which was with Jason Watkins. It was, yes. Sorry, I'm back in the room, back in the room, back in the room. So Jason Watkins is a highly regarded actor. You'd recognise him from many, many things. But he came in today primarily to talk about the death of his daughter, Maud, who died from sepsis when she was just two and a bit years old. It's such a difficult thing to talk about child bereavement and uh, he wanted to do that because he wants to raise awareness of the symptoms of sepsis. And it's such a brave and kind thing to do, really, to try and stop other parents from going through what he and his family have gone through. So we started off by asking Jason if he'd like to tell us a little bit more about his daughter. Maud was, uh, she was a very joyful child, so a typical two-and-a-half-year-old. She loved to sing, she loved to play hide-and-seek, and she was a very sort of special girl as as everyone's child is special uh, uh and she was wise as well she has a kind of wisdom to her she's quite centered which i'm not so they obviously get that gets that from her mum but she had a a real joy and a, a sort of wiseness about her. and yeah she um she became ill uh, towards the end of december 2010 she had a a respiratory infection which i suppose there's a lot of that about in the moment i think i'll our immune systems are not as they were, perhaps, before the pandemic. But in 2010, yes, I was worried that she had uh, this viral infection had gone to her chest and, of course, you think all sorts of things might happen as a result of that and pneumonia, etc. So we took her to our local GP and um, it was very good. But I was sort of concerned that, again, that, you know, that it, it, it had gone to her chest. And I think she could see that I was worried, which is a sort of key thing, I mean... You know, sometimes it's difficult to... You, you can underestimate how you, important you are as a parent, so you should always say if you're concerned. Uh, and so I think, although I didn't voice it, I think she looked, could interpret from my face that I was not... I was concerned. So she said, well, go to the drop in, drop in A&E, which I did, and then uh, she was given some treatment and then uh, just some uh, antibiotics and told her not to worry. But then... The next day, she was much, much worse. So we took her in and a kind of... Well, she was displaying what I now know with the sort of typical signs of sepsis, which is... And forgive me, it's not 
particularly pleasant, but there's a thing called a stridor where you're, it's almost like a pronounced gasping. So she was displaying that and her eyes were rolling into her head a bit and was faint. So she was pale and weak, which is a classic sign of sepsis. Had you known much about sepsis before all of this happened? No, no. I, no, I hadn't heard of it. I mean, I like a lot of people who I'd met subsequently. So is that sepsisemia? Or is that like meningitis? Or is it, it's, it's kind of, but isn't any of those things. And so, no, I hadn't heard the word. And um, if, if I continue, that then, um, you know, she was given, we rushed her through triage and into the uh, treatment area. And she was given, she was diagnosed as having a typical case of croup. We said, oh, it's croup. OK, so I know what that is. And I think most parents do. So she was given antibiotics and steroids um, and was uh, her temperature was falling and I was, I was trying to say, you know, well, you know, I was running in through the hospital with her in my arms and so I was trying to explain the narrative to each new member of staff, which again is a sort of critical thing that can be improved upon about passing on the story of what, a pa- what has happened to a patient, what they call the sort of the narrative of, of the, the symptoms. Um, and so we said, oh, you can, she can go home, you can go home. And there's, there's an argument, you know, her, her child is more comfortable at home. And so uh, that's what I did. And um, she seemed to improve and recover. But um, that was New Year's Eve. So hence why the, the tweet happens. Clara and I share our thoughts on that day because she died in the morning. So or at some point in the night. So we discovered her on New Year's Day in the morning. She was dead. What are the things that you would like parents who are listening to this now to really know from your experience? I think, firstly, as I've sort of touched on, is that you should say if you feel concerned and worried about your child. And there's so much pressure on the NHS and on GPs that sometimes the tendency is to think, oh, I can't, you know, there's too much to... You know, I don't want to burden them further, but you really must. And you should say, you know, the trust, the UK Sepsis Trust, who I'm an ambassador for, you know, we recommend that when a child is presented in A&E after an infection, particularly in A&E, even in a GP, that sepsis should be ruled out first. And, of course, in some NH trusts it is, and in others they don't prioritise sepsis. Some are extraordinary. There's posters on their ambulances, there's all sorts of stuff. And others, they prioritise something else. So you should always ask, could it be sepsis? And I've had lots of uh, correspondence sent my way from people who've asked that question because they've heard me or somebody else talk about it. And, and it was sepsis. And so you have this kind of, you know, period, critical period, where if, if it's diagnosed, you, could, you can treat it. And because what happens is that what's known as the presenting symptoms in Maud's case, Maud's case that was um, uh, croup or, you know, a, a heavy chest infection, that everyone's treating the chest infection and the croup when sepsis is actually occurring at the same time. So it's masked by those presenting symptoms. So you've got to dig in and, and, and test for sepsis. Uh, and, and is then, there an yeah. easy test to do for sepsis? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's the kind of there's various yeah there's various tests you can do, and obviously it's it's the symptoms that you've got to be aware of. So you know if you have light and floppy uh, and pale skin, more mottled skin, uh, not passing urine for twenty four hours, uh, uh, 
cool, cool to the to the touch. Uh, so those, those sort of symptoms, and they're all available on the UK Services Trust website. So if I'm floundering, although I should know them like the back of my hand, but uh, and they're different for infants as well, for under five year olds. So, but they're the sort of sort of symptoms, and so you should always, you should always, um, you should always pipe up. Yeah. Yeah, you're making a documentary. You have made a documentary with your wife. Why, why have you done that now, if that's not a kind of impertinent question? No, well, I'd always... You know, it's both... My, my wife, Clara, is, is, you know, she's, she's uh, an actress, and, but she's, you know, she's got a fashion business now, which she started in the last three years uh, during the lockdown. And I mentioned that, not, not as a plug, but, but as a, a way, something that's given her focus and her energy is, is constantly amazing, um, is that... Um, sorry, I've lost, the, I've lost the thread of the question. Why now, the documentary? Why now? Well, I, what I was going to say was that... But it was we, a very we, good plug, and we'll give her yeah. another plug at the end. Yeah, well, I felt well. so, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it was, what it is is we're both creative people. So if something awful happens to you in your life or something significant, you almost want to have some form of expression. And I'd always thought, you know, whether I could act in a part playing a you know, bereaved father. I don't know whether I could do it, but I have lots of ideas and I kept logs and diaries and things of things that have to be people I met on the train and all these incredible things that, that happen to you when you're in a heightened state of grief. That you remember all of those things. We remember things, on, I'm sure everybody does, on days of funerals. Things become rather macabre and or, or strange. Or, and it's because I think we're in this state of grief. And so ours is sort of prolonged. And so I'd always want to do something creative about it even if it was about somebody else or a different type of grief. So, but I also, you know, there are there's the factual element and, and spreading the, the signs of sepsis and, and, and sharing that and grief. You know, the loss of a child within a family has ripples across all generations of that family. And do, can I ask, do you and Clara approach it in the same way? I mean, bereavement is a, it's a very individual thing and yeah. you're... you're operating as a couple to an extent but yeah. you are still two separate people yeah and when we started this journey with the documentary somebody andrea byrne who's a newsreader on itv her father sadly passed away with sepsis and she sort of reached out to me and said do you want to make anything thoughts about make anything and i said well yeah maybe this is the time you know so that's we started making it and i was it was really making it about sepsis so and i'm answering your question is that i would i've in the last 10 years, there's a lot of my, my focus has been on sepsis and improving clinical care and awareness, etc., and lobbying and all sorts of things. So that's been my thing. So we started making it like that. And I think as I was going, we were going through the process, Clara was feeling, I could sense she was really uncomfortable about it. I thought, hang about, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I, and I was sort of protecting her because she doesn't like the medical stuff. It's, she finds it distressing. So I was sort of protecting her, I thought. But of course, we... We changed tacks and we broadened it and made it about us as a family and what happened to us and Maud. And our, so it became about loss and, of course, about sepsis. And my lovely friend, uh, Roger Michel, the film director, who sadly passed away last year, he said, you know, whatever you do, make it, you make it. Mm. And I didn't really understand, but I do now. So what I'm saying is, in answering your question, is that it's kind of, we're all, we're all making, it's sharing our story of, of what happened so we are it's quite you know it's sort of revealing it's not some you know 
bits of it are amuse, amusing. There's one or two, because I'm basically amusing. I'm a hoarder. But, I mean, apart from that, there's a few little gags. In it, but, I mean, it, it's a heavy subject, obviously. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You must know this so much better than many other people. We don't want to talk about child bereavement, do we? We want to shy away from it. It's mm. just such a horrendous thing yeah. for anybody to contemplate. How do you think we could be tackling that a bit better? Yeah, I suppose... Well, we do grieve differently. Um, and as a couple, me and Clara, um, we realised during the making of our documentary that I had sort of, you know not really addressed my grief. Uh, necessarily, my way of going forward was to sort of uh, solve the problem of sepsis, you know, like a sort of solving of the problem when actually you've got to have a different, sort of slightly different view. So that was my revelation and that we had, we both had different memories of the event. That was another thing that we found out while we were making the documentary. And sharing is, is the key word it's difficult for everybody's different and they grieve slightly differently but there are patterns and one certainly is that if you bottle it all up and don't share your feelings it's a much more difficult journey than if you reach out and try and uh, share your feelings and how you're feeling and talk about your child and talk about what happened and we're part of a group local group called slow surviving the loss of uh, your world which is um our world which is about and it's parents basically as a parents group talking bereaved parents talking to bereaved parents and that's a very good mechanism for being able to not only tell shed illuminate you know your feelings your life your child the memory of your child but it also is enables you to hear other people telling the same telling their story and then you're hanging about that's what happened that's how i feel and then you're not not alone because, and a man's instinct, perhaps, and I know this is completely general, but, you know, they can go, right, no, I'm fine, I can deal with this, I need to protect my family, I don't need to be breaking down all the time, you know, if that's the view that they have. And, of course, you, maybe you should be breaking down a bit, and maybe your wife wants you to break down and your children and all that. So, it, you know, it's never 
I'm very good at deflecting, you know, I think. But of course, when you go, but when you go there, you feel better. For hearing other people's stories. Yeah, yeah. and telling your own. Mm, yes, and having that space and knowing that they understand, I guess. Yeah, and that's, in a way, the mechanism of the whole documentary. Mm. What, what was your attitude to work? Because I wonder whether there was an ambivalence about it in the sense that your, your, your profession gives you a platform, doesn't it? But mm. there must have been times as well when you just thought, oh, you know, pretending to be somebody else for a living... What a, it's rubbish. It's rather <laughs> trivial. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of. I'm kind of stuck with it though because I'm not. I can't You're do very good else. at it, Jess. Yes. Oh, thank you very much. You're quite employed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reasonably employed, and uh, so it's like, well, this is this is it, and uh, you know, since Moore died, I think it's uh, um, it's become more important. And I, I, I don't mean to sound too precious about it, but you know, if you're going to do it, it's got to have meaning to it, and so if, even if it's something that is. You know, if there's a commercial project or something that isn't, you know, a, a after-winning project or whatever, you know, it has a, has a meaning, it has a function because it provides money for our family and stuff, for example. But, you know, I also feel that I like to be part of things that have a have meaning. I mean, I've come from the theatre and that, that's more prevalent then. And, you know, television is not pure entertainment. It's about reflecting our lives and reflecting... It's it's art as well as entertainment. I'm very I firmly believe that you know you, you are holding the mirror up to nature, and you can see that in all sorts of brilliant. And it's always the character like Happy Valley, for example. Just think about that at the moment. Why Lotus? It's about the characters and the people and connecting with their lives and their what's their stories that audiences really respond to. The royal family or something's coming in, come to mind, and so you as a performer have to I think offer yourself. So. Mine and my wife's, my wife's an actress as well, you know, we offer, she was in, uh, Clara Francis, my wife, she was in um, uh, Leopoldstadt and, you know, she, about Jewish experience and that was her, her life and there were even, you know, the photographs on stage were of her real family. So it's, things become perhaps more important and less trivial than, mm. uh, and so therefore that can take you to places that are, are interesting and and hopefully the audiences do go with you and 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 see and understand grief for example or and and and, and empathy you know you are playing at the father of well the father of somebody who has died in yeah. your new project which i think is on channel 5 relatively soon called yeah, it's, it's the next catch. week yeah yeah this it's is a very successful adaptation of a, of a thriller of a very i'll get this sentence out if it, <laughs> if it does uh, put me uh, put me completely <laughs> beyond the mic. Do you want a hand? No, I don't. No, not from you. Um, it's an adaptation of a very successful thriller by T.M. Logan called yeah. Catch. That's, um, right. that's very good. Thank you yeah. very much for you. And you're in it, Jason. I'm in it. And it's, yeah, oh, thank, thank you. Because <laughs> if you uh, hadn't been, that would have been awful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, no, it's, yeah, it's about, it's a, a kind of fisherman who's a head of, well, he's sort of the, um, uh, He's a fisherman who's trying to keep his family together under extreme uh, pressures, economic ones. Yeah. And his older daughter is having a relationship, starting a relationship with a man who he doesn't trust. And he's overprotective, perhaps, of his 23, 24-year-old daughter because they, as a family, have lost a son in an accident um, uh, 10 years previously. So he's overprotective. So, you know... There were some scenes, I can't say too much about it, but there were some, obviously, some very harrowing scenes for me. And I knew I was walking into that I was going to be talking about the death of a child and the death of a child is at the centre of 
everything and all the mistakes that my character tends to make because he's in such an emotional state and you, your judgment is not as good perhaps as it was when you're bereaved or stressed or and I kind of wanted to sort of show that so he's trying to survive the slings and arrows and storms of what's happening to him but he's not a rock he's not a classic centre of a thriller character someone that can sort of deal with it all and handle it and go through it he's a mess that's what you do so well that's your appeal I think you just absolutely you always nail that slight kind of vulnerability that the person themselves is aware of and I think that's a very hard thing to pull off well it's not it's again it's what I talked about before you know you're trying to touch people and you know, and in this piece, I, I was thinking, well, what would I do in this situation? I'd be a bit of a mess. And thought, well, why should I turn into Tom Cruise? I'll just be a bit me, of a mess. You know? Yeah, and yeah. it's delightful to watch. Do you know what? We've we've almost run out of time, and I'm sorry about that because it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. And thank you for talking mm. so openly, and actually with just some you know proper emotion about something that is so difficult. Mary in Exeter, one of our listeners, has just texted in to say, I'd just like to give Jason a very big hug. (laughs) And I think that's probably what a lot of people listening will think too. Uh, We'll give out the website address for UK sepsis later in the programme because those warning signs, uh, you know, they're just very, very well worth reading. They're very simple to understand as well, aren't they? Yeah, they're all listed. And sadly, uh, you can only give a yes or no answer to the final question, which is, you came close to breaking a world record for walking on your hands when you were third can you still do that? I can't. It was running on my hands, but I can't now. It's running on your hands. OK. How do you ever discover that you can run on your hands? Well, you're sort of going to fall over and then you try and catch up and then you just keep going. How far could you go? I'm going to turn this into a separate interview. It was now. the length of the basketball court. That was the... Because it was an American record. That was the distance that was set. And I got pretty close. OK. Well, I mean... Pretty that's close. Oh, that's within a second. savage. Within a second. Mm. Yeah, but that's extraordinary, isn't it? You really can't do it. Please okay, don't we were try. Gonna ask you for it, Although, so. yes, I mean, it would make a, a good picture for Twitter later. Yeah. <laughs> that was Jason Watkins, whose daughter Maud died in 2011. She had sepsis. And if you want to know more about spotting the signs of sepsis, uh, there are lots of just really simple details which are available at sepsistrust.org. Yes, um, we can't really emphasise that enough, really, can we? Sepsistrust.org, all the information is there. And um, we're giving all this out, not in the spirit of making people or wanting to make people really, really, really worried and incredibly paranoid, but just because everyone should know, shouldn't they? Hugely, Jane, because the numbers of people who die from sepsis are huge, about 50,000 in the UK, and so many of those deaths are preventable because if you spot the signs of sepsis early enough and treat it with antibiotics... Uh, then that solves the problem. Yeah. Uh, so also I thought one of the most you know brilliant things that Jason said with such meaning was just to trust your instinct as a parent. And it is so difficult when you go to see the doctor or you end up in A&E with a sick child to know what it is that you know because you're suddenly faced with... Uh, Medical professionals, you want to bow to their greater wisdom, you want to listen to what they've got to say. Sometimes when I've taken a child to A&E in particular, I felt a bit bad about being there, even though I know that I should be there. So his point about just if you know there's something just wrong with your child, Mm. uh, you know, you really do have to make sure that everybody around you 
understands that you know your child best. I think every parent and and or carer um, will understand the absolute terror of trying to navigate uh, an illness in a person who can't speak for themselves. It doesn't actually matter whether they are a small child who can't talk or an older person who can't communicate or or somebody with disabilities. It must be extraordinarily hard to be... Well, I mean, I've only ever had the experience of caring for children who couldn't speak and not knowing what was wrong with them and you're just absolutely at your wit's end. Mm -hmm. So I think Jason's doing a brilliant job and I, I hope it hasn't come at too great a cost to himself because it's clearly still we were in the room with him still really difficult for him to talk about it. yeah which is why i think he's just amazing to do it it's very courageous um and but he is an actor and he admits himself that it sometimes feels just a bit sort of trivial and silly but he is an incredibly good actor i have never forgotten his performances do you remember the i think it's called the lost honor of Christopher Jeffries playing the part of a man who'd been wrongly associated with a horrible murder and I think the the poor woman was called Joanna Yates she'd been murdered in um, the west of England a couple of years ago and Christopher Jeffries was a man who I suppose you might attach the term eccentric to him I'm not even sure that's really legitimate he was just somebody who lived his own life in his own way wrongly accused had a miserable time at the hands of some of the media and um jason watkins was absolutely brilliant playing that part um it was an itv show and he was just superb in it and he's played two prime ministers uh, harold wilson in the crown and you know what his most recent prime ministerial role was no i don't winston churchill in sas rogue heroes <laughs> i didn't stick yeah. with sas rogue heroes it just felt like i was being sandblasted with masculinity and i can't remember what time it was on but it didn't suit me nine o'clock on a sunday <laughs> I, night i can't be no? sandblasted with too masculinity. Late masculinity i think by the end of the weekend i've, I've really i'm very yeah. much i very much need my feminine self yeah well i was in the sas but i don't talk about it um very much <laughs> Uh, so many emails and uh, quite a few of them are about the appearance uh, on the programme yesterday of the Reverend Jamie, uh, who we invited onto the programme to talk about the problem that some members of the Church of England uh, have with conducting gay marriages. Yeah, and they have decided today that they won't be conducting gay marriages, or they've announced their decision. They'll do blessings. Yes, it's just a blessing, but you can't but you go can't, the full... You still can't. No, no, you can't go the full hog. Uh, so this one comes from... Jill, uh, who says, uh, I haven't the energy to bang on about that, Reverend Jamie. Thank you for doing it for me in your interview. As a 60-year-old gay woman, I'm really tired of that marriage debate. The page can never be turned on that subject, as there are a few closed-minded and insecure twits in most congregations of the C of E that don't have anything better to do than blather on about that topic. I'm from Ottawa, Canada, so what do I know? Uh, I grew up in the Anglican Church, Jill tells us. I don't go to church now and granting gay marriage wouldn't bring me back honestly go for the music stay for the coffee and ladies auxiliary sandwiches that's an interesting (laughs) flavor the rest of it's a bit of a nod i wish i lived in england so i could traipse around to all the cathedrals and churches i love the oldiness of it all is oldiness a word it is now should be and love a good old-fashioned even song but a priest with reverend jamie's mindset is just plain sad what would Jesus think. And Jill goes on to say that she's coming to the coronation in May. I was on the long walk for the wedding in 2018. So was I. And how things have changed in a few short years. You're telling us, Jill. I hope there's no Windsor Peace Summit. I can't take much more of this coverage of spare. Me too. 
And he thinks the couple doth protest too much. Uh, thank you for the recommendation of Nadine Matheson. I'm reading The Jigsaw Man. Uh, no problem at all. Do you know what? We love emails like that. They cover an awful lot of things. Yeah, and if you're over there. in May for the coronation, Jane and I are hoping to do some commentary on the coronation. Not commentary necessarily, but we hope to be doing some sort of programme. Out and about. And- an outside broadcast, an OB, as yes. it's known in the trade. We'll be out and about with the revellers uh, ahead of the coronation. I do love, just I just love that sort of thing. I'm not exactly a royalist. I'm a, what am I? I'm keen. I've just got a keen interest in current affairs. I well, I think <laughs> you, do, you do like the royal family. I wax and wane. And you're very interested in what happens in the royal family. I certainly am, yes. I'm interested in all their houses. All their houses. Anyway, um... I have still haven't finished spare. I will when I'll let you know. Tonight is going to be the night when I finally stagger to the end of spare. But um, I've just got a bit stuck in, and I, I need to make more progress. Um, from Mr. Lee on the Solent, very good. Uh, as a Church of England worshipper, I'm sure gay marriage will come. Liberals, after all, must have their way in these woke times. But if I was in charge of anything, I wouldn't allow any atheist to marry in church. Off to the register office with you and shame about the photos. P.S. Great show. More edgy stuff, please. Um, yeah, we don't mind the odd ding-dong, actually, Fee and I. We quite welcome it. So, um, yes, let's let's bring on a few more of those. And actually, quite a good point from Mr Lee on the Solent about atheists marrying in church. Now, I did get married in church, as we all know. Well, it wasn't to be. Didn't last. Nice day, though. Was I a Christian? Well, at the time of the wedding. Not as such. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so... So should I? Did you feel bad about it? Was, Have you was, not been married in church? No, I... Uh, not gosh, yet. Sorry, I was just thinking that for a second. <laughs> I just couldn't remember. Um, no, I no, I haven't been no, married I mean, in church. I, um, so uh, the roller deck of matrimonial yeah, memories hard, can hard. sometimes be a little bit harsh. Um, I, I wonder now why I did that. Anyway, never mind. Um, but was, was your betrothed a believer? that we haven't got if only that's another podcast we've we've got that would really would take some time fiona and i'm not prepared to go there. okay jane susan yes. uh, but but i think mr lee on the solent i agree i think he's got a great point because yeah. i think some people pop into church don't they when they feel like it without believing at all yeah but my point our point is that gay people should be allowed to pop into church to get married along with everybody else very much so yes and i, I was just going to say it's the schools thing that really does it for me so i'm sure you well, will have known not, people not guilty in that department who have who took up religion yeah. in order to get into a school personally i've never understood the faith school thing if you live in a society which is trying to embrace all faiths i just don't really understand how you can have schools that only embrace one but also the thing that i've never understood about people who start to believe mm. pretend to believe let's mm. be honest about it uh, in god in order to get their kids into school because if it then did turn out that there was a god yes. they'd be absolutely stuffed on entering the holy place wouldn't they what do you think there'll be somebody there at the gates yeah i think that's when they'll they'll get a little you know, a oh, little tick yes. off register. Oh, you, yeah. And they, you know, they won't be. So they may have well, they may well have got into the primary school. Mm. They're not getting into heaven. Gosh, that's weigh quite, that one up. That's quite a thought that. Well, actually, if we're going to go philosophical, can I just bring this to you? It's from the letters page of the Times today. Um, the headlines: How to avoid a row. And there's a very short letter from a consultant psychotherapist called Anne, who says, further to your article, how not to row. It may be sobering to reflect that although what you say about another person may or may not be true, 
it is sure as eggs true about you. Say that again. Well, exactly. I've been looking at this since about half seven this morning and I still don't understand it. It's about avoiding a row. Yeah. Advice from a psychotherapist. She's a consultant psychotherapist. It may be sobering to reflect that although what you say about another person may or may not be true, it is sure as eggs true about you. So let's say I say to you, and this I wouldn't say this, by the way, because it's not true, you're very tight-fisted. I would actually be acknowledging that I'm very mean, but I also want to tie you with the same brush. But I, no, I don't think that makes sense at all. So to use an example from this afternoon's programme when yeah. we were talking about air stewardesses, you're just going to have to go back and listen to it. Uh, but uh, but one of the things that they needed to be was discreet. And I made a gag about you not being... At my expense. ...discreet, yeah. which well, is I think, true. considering what I know, I am quite discreet, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, but so if that isn't true, it doesn't mean that I'm not discreet. Well, you're but, not. No. As it happens. Well, I'm more discreet than you. I don't know. We yeah. could argue about this all night. Yeah, we could be. Um, Maybe we haven't picked the best examples. You told me some really good gossip earlier and I, I haven't know. told a soul. Don't. I texted a few people, but don't. I haven't told anyone. Don't. And feign surprise. When that comes out into public knowledge, feign surprise, OK? Mm. Uh, is that today's Times you've taken yes. that letter from? Could you read the very, very end one, please? Bottom right-hand corner. Is it the one about snuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. OK. Headline, special delivery. Further to letters on hospital births, 50 years ago, after a failed epidural, because I was, get this, anatomically peculiar, and people wonder why feminism was invented, I was, the, sorry, the consultant anaesthetist from a pocket deep within his thorn-proof three-piece tweed suit offered me snuff to, as he put it, sneeze the dear child out. It's terrible, that. It's from Vicky in Hampshire. On every single level. What's an anaesthetist doing in a presumably medical setting wearing a three-piece suit made of tweed? Why has he got snuff on him? Why has she had her anatomy described as peculiar? And who in their right mind thinks you can sneeze a baby out? Yeah, who'd be surprised? This is the profession that came up with the expression incompetent cervix. Yep. Don't get me started. Well, I can pop a watermelon where the sun doesn't shine and ask him to have a poo and see if it works. Right, well, I don't think we can keep that in. Um, it's been lovely to hear from David, who is Ruthie. That's from last week. Ruthie, the showbiz starlet. It's only Ruthie's dad, David. I'm just keeping going. Uh, I listened in last week and was surprised that my daughter, Ruthie, over from NYC, had met you. She sent me a photograph. She said you thought she had an interesting life story. So I want to point you to a few clips from her on YouTube that you might enjoy. David, proud dad of Ruthie. Thank you very much. I'm sorry, there were four of us in the studio, three of us have completely lost it. I'm just not going there. <laughs> Oh, oh it's lovely to meet Ruthie and now we've got Ruthie's dad on board, whole yeah. Ruthie family. Come on. Other oh, I can feel a, Ruthie. Yeah, I can feel a spin-off podcast coming on. Hoof. Right, it's what, been called abs- Hoof. <laughs> it's been really lovely. It's Thursday tomorrow. Uh, that's the end of our week. Thank goodness for that, you might say. Uh, and what are we doing tomorrow? Uh, well, we've got an interview with Brenda Edwards, actually, the mother of Jamal Edwards. That will be interesting. And also we're talking to a comedian I think you like. Oh, Alex Edelman. Yeah. yeah. So he's got a new show, which is all about how he kind of accidentally came across some white nationalists uh, and ended up spending some time 
uh, with them. And he's Jewish and is very funny uh, about that kind of interface with the world. So hopefully that'll be good. And if you didn't hear the live Times Radio show today, we did have a really interesting chat to the tennis champion, uh, Christine Truman Janes, who is now in her 80s. She looked fabulous. Uh, still keeps fit. She plays golf these days, unlike me. And uh, she was talking about, well, the struggle that Emma Raducanu is having kind of trying to replicate her astonishing win in the US Open. But she was really insightful and she did tell us that um, when she won the French Open back in the day, her prize money was £40. £40. And who did she get a telegram from? Winston Churchill. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. She still looked in such good shape, She did. Yeah, Yeah. she did. And I think you were admiring. She had an extraordinarily precise-looking kitchen. Very tidy. Very tidy indeed. I think she had her spices all arranged. Yeah. Just so. But then you're talking to the woman who made cauliflower soup before nine o'clock this morning am i gosh you are right (laughs) good evening good evening goodbye You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times Radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this, but live. Uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.